0: Welcome to the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. I'm a customer at Artisan Botanicals, and they are great people dedicated to helping the community around them. If you have any questions whatsoever, they're all about helping educate you on these products and how they can benefit your life. So don't hesitate to give Artisan Botanicals a call, 405 4589699 plus you can save 15% off when you order online at botanicalcompany.com use the, disc, the the discount code colbyshow for 15% off again at abotanicalcompany.com. All right. Hope everybody enjoyed the NCAA tournament. Four days of college basketball. It was awesome. The opening two rounds never disappoint, and they didn't disappoint this season. We had upsets. Uh, the Big 12 starts 6-0 and and then goes 1-6 and after the Texas to, loss to Abilene Christian. Um, how, the Big 12 and the Big 10, for that matter, both put the most teams in the NCAA tournament. Both have one team alone uh, going to the Sweet 16. So... It's it's been a wild four days. Uh, Eric G is going to join me as he does every Tuesday. We'll talk about the NCAA tournament as well as, you know, why I think every year people fall in love with this tournament and fall in love with college basketball and why that doesn't, you know, I, I think carry over to the next regular season. There's just such a contrast. In, in the product from the regular season to the NCAA tournament. So we'll talk about that, the fix for college basketball. We'll talk about football, uh, Oklahoma, championship, or bust. So our weekly Tuesday guest is Eric G. from the Tulsa Sports Animal. Eric G., what's happening today?
1: I am fantastic. Uh, how are you? Um, which, okay, I know that's not what you asked, but, okay, here's what's on my mind. I'll just tell you straight away. I was listening to a cut that I'm going to play today on my show by Seth Greenberg talking about how people at ESPN and I'm sure people at CBS are having the same discussion about they're having this discussion about how to market college basketball, more importantly, who to market in college basketball, because as Seth put it, every team's going to have about three or four kids transferred So you don't know who to promote for the next year. You can't say with any definitive um, confidence that a team that lost in the NCAA tournament, we'll just say Illinois for for example, just pulling out a random team. You can't say with any confidence, any certainty, that you know they're going to be able to build on their experience in the NCAA tournament because they're going to have three, you know, they're going to have four or five guys returning. And the ones that didn't play, we're hearing good things about. And th- this program's only going to get better. That's just not there for college basketball anymore. And Seth Greenberg was right. It's a major problem for the sport. Unfortunately, there's really not any way to fix it with as easy as it is for kids to leave and go from one school to the other. And as we're hearing more and more in the NCAA tournament, there are kids... I there are kids that have played at like three, four different colleges before they before they end up graduating. It's just it's something you have to live with. I don't know what the answer is um, to helping you promote and build stars in college basketball. I think it's just you have to go with the Jerry Seinfeld philosophy: just promote the laundry, promote the laundry because that's what. Older alumni understand. They understand the colors. They understand the mascots, and they're always going to root for their team, So you just have to promote the conferences and, and the teams you're going to have every week because the individuals, um, yeah, you, you can't you can't promote that every year and it seems like everybody starts over from grant from ground zero from one year to the next and that's just the way it goes
0: yeah that's exactly right it's an infrastructure problem with college basketball right i mean just the way that the whole thing is built it's built on players having this this ncaa tournament run and as soon as they become a known quantity their stock is at the highest it's going to be and and they bolt for the next level to make some money i mean it's yeah, it's, it's the reason why college basketball is not that good until you get to the NCAA tournament, and then we all gobble it up for three weeks because it's amazing. The last four days have been exceptional television, but nobody's watching these games in February when they don't mean anything and when one team isn't going home after the game for the rest of the the, the season until it starts up again. I mean, it, it needs this kind of urgency to be special and the bottom line is it nothing has this urgency until you get to this point and then anybody that makes a name for themselves is gone. I mean, the Luca Garzas of the world are very few and far between.
1: Well, are we watching it because it's good basketball in March? Or are we watching it because of what you said? Somebody's going home at the end and it's the drama that, that builds up. Like the only like I will tell you the best basketball I've seen played this year. Came from Gonzaga against OU. And OU had its spurts where it was hot early in that game. But once Gonzaga got a double digit lead, you never felt like OU was going to come back or they were going to, they were any threat to Gonzaga. And OU, like every other school in America, this is not just a problem to OU. They had these moments of just going dead. I yeah. mean, think back to that Oregon State OSU game. It seemed like OSU would make a push. They would get Oregon on the ropes or Oregon State on the ropes. Oregon State would start to play sloppy. They'd get careless with the ball. They'd make bad shot selection. OSU would be on the verge of getting them, and then OSU would go cold. And you could take that game, that breakdown right there, and basically apply it to just about every game you see in the NCAA tournament. So it's not necessarily that it's good basketball, you hit on it when you you first said the words. It's good television. It's yeah. good drama. Yeah. And for those of us that don't really like college basketball, because we know the product is like I watched the Mavericks and Trailblazers the other day, the regular season NBA game. There has not been a single NCAA game that's even remotely close to as good as that game was. However, I find myself watching more college basketball all this time of yeah. year because, like you said, it's just, it's drama. And we want the drama of, of somebody going home and somebody unexpectedly advancing. And that's CBS has always done a good job of selling that. Gambling has always done a good job of selling that. And that's why people get sucked into it. But for those that truly love the sport, they've watched it deteriorate to a point where there's no return. There's no getting it back to what it used to be. And you just kind of have to live with, you just kind of have to live with what it is now. I don't think there's any way to fix college basketball. You just have to sell March and hope that there are enough alumni bases out there that want to watch from November through February.
0: Yeah, that's a thousand percent correct, and and it's why I think you look at a situation like Shaka Smarts in with Texas. And it's so damning that that going back to 2015 when he was hired, he has no NCAA tournament wins. I mean, it, this sport is completely designed around three weeks in March, and that's it. Like, that's that's your window yeah. to have success. And it's also why Jim Beheim is brilliant, and it's why Tom Izzo is brilliant, because regardless of what those guys do in their conference every single year, I mean, it, it's almost like every other year, it's either Beheim or Izzo that's making an NCAA tournament run no matter what the team looks like. And it's because they get into this tournament, these brackets, and they, they just haven't figured out. I mean, t- I, I, I said this yesterday on the pod, Jim Boeheim basically like runs the triple option of college basketball. Like nobody's used to seeing what he runs and, and except for the people in his conference, but he gets into the NCAA tournament against these teams that aren't familiar with him. And every year it's like Syracuse all of a sudden starts surprising people. So, um, yeah, they have it figured out. It's about March. It's about this tournament. It's about what you do in this tournament. And and for the most part, people don't really care about what happens in, in the other part of the season. I mean, you certainly have your basketball fans that are basketball fans and ride or die no matter what. But I think the overall group of sports fans that pays attention to this tournament, the majority of those people aren't watching in January and February.
1: Or at least I'm not waiting. watching closely. And I'll tell you when that first—I'll tell you when it first really hit me. There were there were two inst- instances with OU basketball that it really hit me that the only thing that matters in is March. Um, one was when I was a senior in high school; it was 1991, and they went to the NIT, made it all the way to the NIT finals, and I think they lost to Stanford. That's the game that Billy Tubbs got ejected, and. I remember, I I watched every game of that NIT tournament. OSU was better than them that year and got knocked out early. And I was thinking to myself, wow, you know, if I was an OSU fan at this moment, I don't have anything to watch. I'm glad I got OU basketball to watch here in March. This is great. I know it's not the national championship, but it's something. This This is it. This is when college basketball's hot. My team's playing. And then, fast forward a few years later, when Kelvin Sampson got hired his first year at OU, they go undefeated at home, he's Big 8 Coach of the Year, and OU looks poised to be in a position to make a tournament run, and the first team they draw is Manhattan, coached by France, who so show up. they get knocked out. And it just felt like that entire year was for naught. Yeah. And Fast forward another few years, sitting in a press conference, I think a week before Steve Alford announced that he was leaving New Mexico for UCLA, they get knocked out by Harvard in the first round of the tournament after getting a three seed. This is the second time he got a three seed and the second time he'd gotten eliminated before the Sweet 16. And I remember asking the, I mean, I remember him making the statement, well, we had a great year, we just had a bad tournament. And I remember asking him the question. It's like, I understand, I was still saying to him, I understand what you're saying, but can you understand the frustration of the fans because, or I said, can you understand the frustration of the fans because it's your sport? It's your sport that has made March so important. And that's what people want. They want you to have success in March. That's how your sport has set it up. Is yeah. it an issue with the sport and what they're focusing on? Or is it an issue of how we're looking at it? And he really couldn't give you an answer. But his he didn't need to give an answer at that point because a week later he did because he went to UCLA. Because he knew it was yeah. all about March. And he went to a Final Four there. So it's... I, and I remember him asking a He asked a very smart question early on in his tenure in New Mexico, because they got, they got left out of the NCAA tournament one year. They got knocked out of the mountain West. They got knocked out of the mountain West uh, tournament early, like in the first or second round. And he asked the question because they were, he was, they were on the bubble all year long. They won 20 games. They were on the bubble all year long. He said, We've got the." he was adamant he was a good politician we have the best conference in america in the mountain west and to his credit it was a good conference that year he's when i was playing it was 20 wins 20 wins get you into the ncaa tournament well now it doesn't it's not that guaranteed so do i take the year and just prep my team for the Mountain West tournament. And if that's it, I mean, if all that matters is that postseason tournament, maybe that's what I ought to be coaching for. So you've got all these mixed messages going on inside the sport. And I, you can only imagine what goes through Ron Kruger and Joe Heron's head and Mike Boynton and, um you know, Steve uh, Weiberg's head about how do you navigate, how do you just navigate these waters of college basketball? Because the committee's inconsistent as far as what they like from year to year. One year they love your regular season and you to play a tough schedule. The next year they want they value more what you did in the postseason tournament because it tells you you're more ready for the NCAA tournament. There's just there's no fixing this sport. And the unfortunate thing is it's a sport that has given us so many great players, not just great moments, but given us Kareem Abdul Jabbar and Bill Walton and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, um, and remember, Magic was a one-and-done guy. But I think Kate Cunningham was the last of a breed, and we were just we're just kind of, the sport's just a mess, and there, there's no way, there's just no way to clean it up, because even if you were to say, if you choose not to go to the G League or not to go pro after high school, and you have to stay for three years in college, it doesn't mean that you have to stay for three years at the same college. So it's just, it's, it just is, I hate, that, I hate that phrase. It is what it is, but that's yeah. where college basketball is right now. It's, it's the unfixable sport.
0: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And and I think, first of all, it starts with, I, I think, the, co- the contrast of what their regular season and postseason is. I mean, you have this regular season that is so unimportant because 68 teams are going to punch their ticket to the NCAA tournament. So, you know, I use this example all the time. If, if OU, and, and look again, I, I'm not saying that the OU fans or the fans of individual schools aren't paying attention, but I, I'm just using this as an example, college basketball fans. Let's put them under this umbrella, college basketball fans. You're not attached to OU in this scenario, but college basketball fans on a certain Saturday, probably don't really care about OU West Virginia on January 28th when the winner of that game doesn't punch their ticket to the NCAA tournament. The loser of that game doesn't lose their spot in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and and mm-hmm. after you get through the regular season, every team in the country still has the opportunity, no matter what their record is, to punch their ticket to the NCAA tournament by, w- by winning their conference. So you go from this setup of a regular season that is so unimportant. And and I say that as far as, as the meaning of games, how much weight there is with every game, what you have on the line. There's just not a lot to be gained or lose with any one specific matchup versus going into the ultimate one and done, advance or your season is over scenario. So you have polar opposite ends of what the sport is from the regular season to, to the postseason. Even in the NBA, you have 82 regular season games. And, you know, I've been one of those people that at times talks about one of 82. But even in the NBA, like, you still have series in the postseason. You don't go from one of 82, like, oh, well, you lost today. You're going to play again tomorrow, to I have to win tonight. Like, a game seven mentality every time you play. You still have, even in the postseason, while those games are still extremely important Losing one game in the postseason doesn't end your season. So you go, it's just this wild ride from, hey, 68 teams are going to make this thing to game seven, game seven, game seven, game seven. And, and I think that's the first part where it's just so hard to, to get that excited about what their regular season is versus what the NCAA tournament is.
1: Well, add on, add on top of that, what we're finding out this year, and what you're going to find more and more with the current state of college basketball, and your 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 upper echelon players. I mean, your are top, the best of the best, form-going college basketball. What we're finding right now with seating doesn't even matter right. anymore. That that used to be the regular season. It was well, you want to have a good regular season because you want to have a good season. You want to have good seating, and you want to avoid certain matchups, but that doesn't even guarantee you anything. Look at Illinois you know, getting knocked out by Loyola of Chicago, North Texas winning in their first matchup, Texas losing to Abilene Christian. Um, Gonzaga really is kind of the only team, but I think it's just maybe because they're the best team in college basketball. where are having that number one seed probably set them up for an easier run, but I'm not convinced that if they were a number two or number three seed after watching them play against OU, they still wouldn't have the same results, so it's just it, there's, there's no fixing it unless the NCAA were to do uh, were basically to do an NBA-type format and try and figure out how to play in series versus this one and done, but then they know what loses all its appeal I will tell you, for as much as we're ripping them, they did hit gold. And if they're smart, they're going to take the model that they have from this year and they are going to apply it moving forward. I'm just want to run this idea by you real quick, Colby. The best place to have the NCAA tournament every year, all
0: rounds, <laughs>
1: from the beginning to the end, is Las Vegas. Here's the reason why. One, You've got enough hotel rooms for both teams and fans there, because that's what that's what Vegas is. Strictly entertainment industry. It's a destination spot for fans. Fans love to go there. Vegas would love it because if you go there, your team gets knocked out in the first round, you're not going to feel the urgency or feel like you're bummed out because it's like, well, you know, great, you know, what do we do now? Well, it's Vegas. There's plenty to do while you're there. You can spend another three days in Vegas and then get your flight home. Two, it has every arena you need for every level of the NCAA tournament. You've got the Cox Pavilion that the UNLV women play in, and they do some UFC fights. You've got the Orleans, you've got the MGM, you've got T-Mobile, you've got the Thomas and Mack Center, which I think seats 18,000 on the campus of UNLV. And then you've got Allegiant Field. And if college basketball is hell bent by putting the final four in these football stadiums, then it's there. Plus, talking to Paul Mills yesterday from ORU, and I asked him, is there any advantage to just staying there all week versus flying back to Tulsa, cramming in like three days of workout and class, and then flying probably all the way across the country because you're a 15 seat? He's like, no, this absolutely helps. The NCAA, they've hit on something. The question is, are they smart enough to say, this is how we need to do the tournament so far because the coaches like it, the players like it, the fans like it, and there really is only one city that has all these accommodations, and it is Las Vegas. And then you make the destination Vegas, you can build a big marketing scheme behind it, but spreading it out, all over the country, it it does a disservice to fans because what you're banking on is when you have the first two rounds of a regional final in, say, Albuquerque, New Mexico, you're banking that if West Virginia is there, that there will be enough people in that town to buy the tickets because you're only going to get so many people travel to that because now fans have got to make that decision. It's like, okay, well, I can go see them in the first two rounds or I can go see them in the regional final, but what if they're good enough to make the final four? Do I want to try and travel? And then try to do a better job of that for the higher seeds, you know, giving their fans something close to home. But this is the perfect way to do it because everybody wants to go to Las Vegas. And it's the I, I thought Boston, I thought New York, and I'm like, no, unfortunately those places don't have all those types of arenas. Vegas does. Yeah. So just make it happen. And if there's not a conversation about it, then the NCAA is even dumber than I thought.
0: I think it's a brilliant idea. I'm somewhat conflicted by it just simply because I've been one of those people that if you've ever gone to just a regional in Dallas or a regional in Oklahoma City or Tulsa for that matter even if the team that you root for isn't there, like there's just a charm about having that in your area and being able to go check it out. Like it's, uh, it you know, it, it's just, it's a special environment that you don't necessarily get to experience uh, all the time. So from that standpoint, I would hate for for the different areas that get to host these regionals in the first round, first and second rounds to, to lose out. But at the same time, I mean, everything you said is absolutely spot on. I think it's better for everyone else and, I, you know, the main thing you talked about that kind of hit home, think about the College World Series and how Omaha is the destination, right? Like, the road to right. Omaha is is literally how they sell this. Right now, they sell, like, road to the Final Four, but if you make that a location where, for a month, Las Vegas, Nevada is just consumed by March Madness, uh, I, I think it's it's exceptional. And, look, the entire March Madness craze is built – on gambling and people filling out tournament brackets. I mean, that's the other part yes. about why people love this thing is because they're invested in it. People love the NCAA tournament, A, because of the urgency, but B, because they're invested, because everybody fills out a tournament and everybody is cheering and booing with every made shot or miss shot and everybody feels like they know all about ORU or Abilene Christian by the time these games kick off in the first and second rounds. So... Uh, and, and it's simply because you wrote down a name on a sheet of paper or you clicked a button uh, next to, you know, a, a team's school logo. So people are invested in it. And I think if, if in in the gambling capital of the world to, to focus the entire thing there. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% or I should say 99% on board with that. Like I said, my only reservation is just how awesome those regional sites are. If you've ever been, again, outside of just being a fan, just going and enjoying Regional basketball, regardless of who you're rooting for. But yeah, it, every other, I think, metric points to that being a great idea and making all the sense in the world.
1: Well, thank you very much. And look, I, I've been lucky enough in my career to go to um, three, uh, three, uh, three of the first rounds, one regional, and a final 4 But I've been lucky enough to kind of go to all theirs through, through a couple of different cities. And there are cities like like Albuquerque. I always mention Albuquerque because it's an event town. I mean, one, there's, there's not a ton to do there unless you're an, an outdoors person. But entertainment-wise, it's an event town. That's an event. And people will go to the NCAA tournament there regardless of who's playing. They will buy those tickets and they will go spend all day at it. Um, Oklahoma City, it's I found it with Oklahoma City, it's not as big a deal unless you got one of the state schools there. Um and that year the the it in Oklahoma City, that was the year that, that OU ended up going to the Final Four a few years back. I mean it was cool to watch it the peak, but it didn't quite have the, have that same effect where a neutral crowd all of a sudden jumped on a bandwagon and found a team to root for um i think a and m and Texas played each other at, at that in in the in those first two rounds that sounds that right actually fun. yeah i
0: think thats that sounds right and it was it was kind of fun but
1: you still kind of felt like it still felt like a sterile environment. And that's part of the NCAA problem is you've got to, when you're going all over the country, you've got to find one arenas appealing enough that can host everything, that can host everything that it takes to host those. In. Like Kansas city has a great arena. Oklahoma city has a great arena. You've got enough locker room space for everyone. You, you, you've got all that. The other thing is you got to have the media taken care of. And there has to be enough seats for people to come. But unfortunately, you've also got to put it in cities that care about college basketball. And that is, that can be an issue. Uh, like Los Angeles, outside of the UCLA fan, are people really going to the Staples Center to watch college basketball? That's, that's, that's an NBA tab. Um Dallas. Dallas is probably a decent location for it, but still, it's an NBA town. Same with Houston. So you start checking places off. San Antonio's probably good because they're a one-horse town, but still, you would think more people there are vested in the NBA than they are college basketball. Right. So yeah. is there still that appeal? You do it in Vegas. A, it, it was a college basketball town at one point. I'm sure that that has changed with the Raiders and the Golden Knights and it's becoming more of a professional sports town, but just because you've got the allure of what you were talking about, it's like, okay, not only am I going to this game, but I can go to the sports book and lay a little money on it. So now I've tightened the action. Right Now I've, I've, I've made an emotional investment as well as a financial investment. And for those that aren't particularly attached to a team, it's like, it's like, oh yeah, I'll go to that. That becomes an event that they go to every year. They don't miss. It becomes like the Super Bowl for yeah. some people. Well, like I said, yeah, like Omaha necessary. with the College
0: World Series, there are people that just book their yeah. tickets to Omaha every year, hoping their team makes it. And then if they don't, they, you know, sell it off or do whatever. But it it becomes just a like a vacation destination type place where you know there's a chance your team's going to be there. So why not just you know, and and even if you don't make it, some people just go anyway. Like. I, I've only been to the College World Series one time, but it was it was one of the most incredible experiences that I've ever had. And dude, there were so many fan bases of teams there that that weren't even playing in the in the College World series that are like, you know, and I talked to a lot of people that were just like, Yeah, I come every year. Like it's just this is what we do. And some people go and don't even ever go in the stadium. They tailgate the whole time. And they're like, Yeah, you know, we just we've been doing this for like ten years or fifteen years. It's just it, it it's become oh, yeah. the destination and I think it would be cool to have something along those lines in you know in one destination, and Vegas makes all the sense in the world for the NCAA tournament.
1: No, that, that would—it's it, just something that they, they've got—they've got a banner around, yeah. and I'm sure. Uh, hopefully, when they talk to coaches about the experience of being in the bubble, and hopefully the the, the travel comes up, and hopefully those that have stayed in it longer. Discuss. Hey, this was much better than again having to you know to just have this helter skelter schedule and put my team at a disadvantage. Now I can like oh, are you. They get they had Monday and today off. Now, granted, they can't go outside. They can't really do anything. And if you're if you don't have the restrictions, and, to, and hopefully next year you won't, kids will get out and be able to move around more. But you're able to give them a couple of days off. Under normal circumstances, you can't do that. The, the days off come when they're when they're on a plane and they get off their their, their jet lag. So this gives you a little bit more of a, a, a normal week, a normal practice schedule to, to kind of fit in. And I'm sure you can set things up in those hotels that you know where people will ask you know certain practice times or whatever. But it seems like an, it's an easy thing to do if you, if you can do it now. You could certainly do it on a much grander scale here in the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the sport being changed forever. Uh, I I still this is so funny. Over the weekend, like I I saw this on Twitter multiple times, but people saying like, "I hope Gonzaga wins it." You know, it'd be it'd be great to see the underdog win it. And I'm like, this is not the sport that you watched 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. Gonzaga is no longer the little guy. They're undefeated. They're the number one team in the country. They're dominating their opponents and they're now getting five-star recruits like Gonzaga is one of the big boys at this point. And and look, Gonzaga has at least player consistency. They they get really good players, but not good enough players that are going to play one year and then bolt to the NBA. Now Jalen Suggs is probably going to be the exception to that, but Gonzaga is now the gold standard of what college basketball is today. It's, it's, Really good basketball players that aren't good enough to make the jump to the NBA in one season, and you're you're able to develop chemistry over the course of multiple seasons. You're you're able to develop depth, and and you have a bunch of you know 22, 23 year olds as opposed to a bunch of 19 year olds, which is a significant difference.
1: Yeah, and um, that's a, most of the types of teams you're going to start to see win the NCAA tournament more and more. don't Dopey. Don't be surprised if a Loyola Chicago or a type school wins the tournament here in the next few years. Because those kids, for some reason at Gonzaga, they hang around. They don't tend to suffer from the transfer, or it doesn't seem like they suffer um, from the transfer bug as much. And Loyola Chicago, those kids don't seem to transfer as much either. So it, it's that coach. Essentially, what it comes down to is that coaches, that staff who can constantly recruit the kids in their program and recruit kids outside of the program that feel that sense of loyalty to, to whatever they're, they're, they're building up there, those are going to be your successful programs. And it most likely is not going to be your Michigans, your Duke, your, um, your, your, any of your Power 5 schools. Because I don't think the kids that go to the Power 5 schools feel that sense of loyalty because they know it's a business. Yeah. It's a business. And that's, that's the problem. Is that kids know it's a business. Coaches know it's a business. Coaches will get rid of kids. Kids will get rid of themselves. And they know. They, they are there for the coach to make money and the school to make money. Even with the, the NIL coming up, it's still if you're not getting the playing time you're probably not getting a lot of endorsements or or a lot of people paying you to do certain things so the nil may 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 make it even more difficult to keep teams intact because kids are want to go they'll want to go where they can get there they'll want to go where they can be enough of a star to earn money on the side and that tends to let it spin out of control a little bit more so it's those schools where the kids go into it without that kind of expectation, they'll stay together, and every three, four years, you'll you'll see them make, make a run and probably even win the whole thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, like I, I've seen the graphic multiple times over the last week and then even more this morning where you look at, like, Duke and Kentucky don't even make the tournament. North Carolina's one and done. Uh, Kansas gets completely dominated last night. Uh, Michigan State's at home, like, uh, there was there was a, a list that I saw um, lat- going into the NCAA tournament that was entering this season the best coaches in college basketball. And it was the normal names at the top. You know, it was Coach K and Calipari and um, Roy Williams and Bill Self and Tom Izzo. And, like, I was thinking about that this morning. Like, this is a sport that's built around the coaches. The coaches are the superstars of college basketball. And we're going into the Sweet 16, and the superstars of the sport are, are, aren't there, right? Like, Coach K's at home didn't even make the trip. Coach Cal was not there, didn't even make the trip. Roy Williams, Bill Self, Tom Izzo, all sitting at home. Uh yeah, I mean you're I, I think we're just we're getting to this point where uh, you know, the one and done is obviously wreaked havoc in in college basketball, but if you don't hit on your one and done guys like Duke and Kentucky both missed this year, then you have no chance. I mean, no chance. And that's where you get these veteran teams that have good players that have chemistry and have experience, teams like Loyola, teams like ORU, teams like Gonzaga, and you find themselves, you know, they're they're in the second weekend.
1: Well, I mean, think about this. Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, probably every year have about, what, 80% roster overhaul? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's no building up. Kansas has been
0: a little bit more consistent than Duke and Kentucky. They haven't had as many every year leave, but they still have a pretty big turnover.
1: Now, and, and here's the question: If you're an alumni of those schools, like Kentucky, yeah, it's garnered you a couple of national championships. You're you're a high profile school, but you've prided yourself on being one of the. The dominating, you've prided yourself on being one of the blue bloods in college basketball where you're always going to be in the conversation to win a national championship. And certainly if you get that kind of talent, it helps, helps you more than to not have that kind of talent. But knowing that you're starting five freshmen every year or four freshmen every year and coming off the bench, there's two or three freshmen. And some years they may all click instantly because they came out of the same AAU program or they've known each other for years or they played together in certain instances. You may start off from November all the way through the end of March and just completely dominate. But more often than not, you're going to have to kind of come together and gel through the year. And even as we saw that one year that Kentucky get together, it doesn't guarantee that you'll – like even if you're at your peak in March, you'll win the championship. So yeah. are the Duke alumni or the Kentucky alumni of the world, do they still want to go that route because they think they're going to be able to win national championships or do they want to do something like what Mark Pugh is doing at Gonzaga? And, and, is, and is he one of the stars now of of college basketball? I think he is
0: he he hasn't won a national championship so that probably prevents him from being put on that same plateau as those other guys but I think he's right there uh he's he's accomplished as much as anyone else he's been he's been to that game he's been to final fours like um I, I think other than winning a championship he's accomplished everything you need to accomplish and he has a tremendous uh record of sustained success now at this point but look as far as the five star conversation uh I I don't think anybody is going to turn down five-star kids that want to come play for your school. And look, Mark Few didn't do it this year. We can all say that he has the right template for building a winner in college basketball, but the bottom line is, for the last decade, the, you know, the, I'm trying to think of the one-and-dones, the John Walls, the Anthony Davises, the Carmelo Anthonys haven't been knocking on Mark Few's door to come play at Gonzaga. I mean, that's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. If Mark Few had the option... If Anthony Davis said, hey, I want to come to Gonzaga instead of Kentucky, I promise you 1,000% Mark Few would have rolled out the red carpet for Anthony Davis to attend Gonzaga. So we give a lot of these guys credit for not going the one-and-done route. The bottom line is... It's because they they're not getting those guys. I mean, they're they're making the best of the situation they have, but they're not they're going to take the most talented player. And look, Mark Few has a five star point guard this year. Jalen Suggs wanted to go to Gonzaga, and Mark Few took him. And Jalen Suggs is leaving after this year. He's going to be a top five NBA pick. So Mark Few's is about to have a one and done because he finally got a guy that wants to come to Gonzaga. So I, I just don't think any coach in college basketball is going to say no to a guy that wants to come to your school. Even if, I mean, you just, you have too much to gain. Look at the Cade Cunningham situation, right? Like, yeah, you have too much to gain by even just one year of having a guy like that, especially if he hits.
1: Or do you, I agree with you, but do you want four or five of those guys on campus at the same time? I would think normally, yes. But if it means that you might not win a national championship, is that, is that sitting well with those fan bases and you know not being at OU you don't have to worry about it I mean you're you're going to get a Trey Young you're going to get a Blake Griffin every once in a while but you're not going to get four or five of those guys right (laughs) at OSU you're going to get Cade Cunningham but there aren't going to be three you know three of his buddies aren't coming with him to Stillwater because it's just not what kind of program it is and at least at those schools when at, at OSU and OU and Trey Young leave, you know, theoretically you're going to have some guys that didn't get an opportunity to play. Maybe that stayed in a program and at least developed and have a chance to play in the net in the next year or so. But,
0: um, but the problem is it's just, it's too hard to say which guys for sure are going to be one and dones and which guys aren't. I mean, that's, that's the other thing. Like, you can get five of those guys, but there's no guarantee that all five of those guys are going to hit and be one-and-done guys. Uh, there's, you know, maybe maybe all five of those guys are busts. Like, you know, I, I don't think Kentucky thought that that group of guys they brought in this year was going to be as, as bad as they were. Same thing for Duke. I, Duke brought those guys in thinking – they were going to do what Zion and, and R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish did. They were going to be really good and make a run, and maybe you get lucky and win it all. Maybe you don't, but uh, I, I don't think Duke felt like th- that collection of guys they were bringing in were going to be as disappointing as they were. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if you if there's a talented player, I think you just take the talent and and go to the next step and, and see where it goes because you just have no idea if, you know, five guys are going to go if three guys are going to go if only one of those guys turns out to be a good player it's just you have no idea you know it's i I think that's way too hard to try and and assess and and build your team around guessing which guys are gonna be one and dones complete like with certainty you know what i mean especially if you're talking about multiples
1: yeah no that 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 makes that that makes sense um you know and i'm wondering if i mean but th- a, a that's coach. also why it's
0: so frustrating for the sport because you're yeah. you're a slave to getting the best talent and if you do get the best talent then that talent's gonna go so uh you know like Gonzaga's gonna have guys that leave for the NBA draft this year because they're really good yeah I mean success means you're you're losing guys because they're gonna go to the next level because they were successful so um yeah I, I think but you, know, you
1: should be able you should be able to replace them
0: yeah and maybe that and
1: that's probably the I mean, of all the things Mark here deserves credit for is elevating. I mean, even if he hasn't won a championship, he's elevated his program to where he's getting those five-star kids that can leave after a year. And they're willing to go spend two semesters in Spokane, Washington, playing on ESPN, being seen late at night, Versus in prime time because of be, being in the Pacific time zone, and yet kids still want to go there. Hey, we're gonna have a chance to win, yeah. chance to win an Arsenal championship. It'll be fun for a year, and then I'll get then I'll go to the NBA. It's probably what Mark Pugh deserves the most credit for because you know he's had his opportunities to leave for Power Five programs, and for whatever reason, he's chosen not to, and he's he's built something at Gonzaga that. I kind of wonder when he retires, is anybody going to be able to capitalize on that? I, are, are you going to be able to continue that same kind of success? I feel sorry for his successor Because I think it's so hard to follow yeah. a guy that's a legend. Yeah. And I don't think whoever takes that job, the second he retires, I, I think whoever takes that job after him is going to have a tough time replicating that success.
0: Yeah,
1: I Golly, man, that, that's probably – he's probably – I would say he's the toughest act to follow in college basketball because if you look at Duke with Mike Krzyzewski, there's at least – you're on a prestigious campus, a beautiful campus. It's North Carolina. that There is a love for basketball in that state and a love for basketball for people who are going to write the checks at Duke. And it's got somewhat of a mystique now that, that's even bigger than Mike is As big as he is with the program, the name Duke will, send, will send, still send chills up kids' spy. Where I think when he leaves, it may not be exactly the same, but you won't have a problem finding someone that can get it pretty darn close to where he is. I don't see that happening at Gonzaga. I'd, I'd be shocked if it happened at Gonzaga after month, after month, he steps out.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Um, Jay Wright's another one that's done just an incredible job at Villanova, right? Like they've, they've had sustained success. He's won two titles. Uh, they're, they're good almost every year. Uh, and, and he's also a guy that's taking the best players he can get. I mean, he's had a bunch of McDonald's all Americans. Once again, though, it's just, it's, it's one of those situations where he's had really good players he just hasn't had like those like Zion Williamson type players. So but it's 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 hard to know which of I mean, he's also had busts. Like he's had McDonald's All American busts that uh aren't you know, don't even become like big time role players for his team. So I, I don't think there's like a there's just not a window that you can say like, I want you to be good but not too good. You gotta be right in this sweet yeah. spot of like like I I just don't think you can game plan for that because you just you never know how players are going to develop. You never know how people are going to react when they you know take that step to a greater level of competition. So, uh, and you know we just bottom line is uh, again circling back to the very beginning of this. This is why the Loyolas and teams like that are having so much success because it's so hard to a pinpoint that elite talent when you get it and then B, to replace that year after year after year in a season where North Carolina wasn't able to do it, Duke wasn't able to do it, Kentucky wasn't able to do it. All of a sudden, you have this path to the Final Four with a bunch of teams having opportunities. And and look at the teams right now that are having success. A lot of these teams have are veteran teams that have players that have been around for multiple seasons.
1: It, well, and, and it's one of those things, even when you take it, kid, where you're, you're thinking to yourself, all right, well, I've scouted him, he's good. I mean, and and maybe the kid's not getting a ton of offers and you're thinking to yourself, okay, he's good. Maybe he's not good enough his first year to play in the NBA and then all of a sudden he has a super year. Yeah, And goes from being a guy that would have hung around for for two or three years and developed and grown to now it's like, oh, he's got range. He's got handling skills. He can play and guard multiple positions he fits in perfectly with them because he just had a phenomenal year, well, then that kid has to go. Because in the NBA, you've got to punch your ticket at ASAP. There's, if you hang back, then then all of a sudden GMs, GMs get scared of you for, what, for whatever reason. They just, you know, kids that play three, four years in college aren't the kids they're looking for. So if, if you happen to kind of, Fall through the craps in recruiting, get that get your golden ticket and hit. Then you got to go. And unfortunately, if you're J. Ryder Long there there's you're now you're stuck trying to replace that guy. And chances are you're probably not. Yeah, <laughs> it's like eh, you go get this kid, but you know you, you just like you said, there's there's so there's so much there when kids step on campus. You just never know how they're going to react to a being in college and then b having to deal with the stress of playing at a level that 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 most of them haven't seen you know even even in the best AA even in the best aau programs you haven't always seen talent like you're playing against in college right
0: uh you mentioned last week that uh, there was one storyline that interests you in this tournament it was cade cunningham and oklahoma state they're now out are you still have you found anything else to, to gravitate toward or are you done
1: um no that's that's i'm done okay for so as good as Gonzaga is, um, I was kind of impressed, um I was kind of impressed by Timmy's play against OU. Yeah. Um he looks like a guy that could actually transcend to the NBA, but no, the, the the best the the best player in the tournament is out. The guy that I had the most fun watching is out. And yeah, therefore I'm out. Um I'll check in with it. Um, all your typical storylines are, are going to be fun, I guess. With Loyola, can they get back to the Final Four? Um, can Alabama, Florida, you know, Alabama, Florida, State, Michigan, probably that's the most entertaining uh, of the brackets that are left. Baylor is, is not a bad story. Um, I, no, I think that back there isn't. There is another story that that I am. I can't believe I forgot this. It should have been the first one I mentioned. Or Roberts yeah. does have me interested. So yeah, I will watch. I, I, I take that back. I will watch as long as ORU's in. Um, one for work, but two, it, it's neat to at least watch an Oklahoma school, see how far they can go, especially when they started off in the 15th seed. So um, that's probably the biggest story I'm following at this point. But, yeah, Kate Cunningham out, that's a, that's a big dent in it. Yeah. Big dent. Yeah.
0: Uh, football started yesterday. As as one season ends in the state of Oklahoma with the Sooners and Cowboys both getting knocked out, another one begins. Unaffected. Yes. The, the you know. Yeah. <laughs> They're back. They're back, baby. Yes. We have we have in, um, we have pro days for, for the draft. We have uh teams reporting for spring practice. It's awesome.
1: Um okay, so let's let's talk real quick here about OU. Um the receiving core is something everybody's going to talk about, but i got my eyes on the defense right now. And, and, and listening to Alex Grant, he talked a lot about the inconsistencies um, that, that OU had last year on defense and how that's got to improve, but he's confident that will improve because you're actually getting competition in the spring. You're actually going to play football, and you're not stuck trying to... You're not stuck trying to simulate things uh, in the weight room or running or doing stuff like that. Guys will actually get a chance to hit. They'll get a chance to kind of feel what the fourth quarter's like. And OU's defense, a lot of eyes on them this year. And if Alex Grinch can come back and oh, OU can, say, hold teams to 21 points this year on average, then I think we'll we'll see Alex Grinch move, move on after this season. Somebody will give him a head coaching job.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's true. He's uh, he's already, if, if he's not on your short list now, I, I mean, what are you doing? Uh, and, and Sooner fans don't want to hear that, I, I'm sure. But the bottom line is, if you're a successful assistant, you, you should be getting calls. Uh, it means that you are doing a good job, and it's being recognized that you're doing a good job. So um, if Alex Grinch weren't getting calls, that means that OU's defense is still stuck in the 100 rankings uh, of college football. And look, I, I think they're going to be really good. I, it starts with the defensive line and you bring back uh, Winfrey and Isaiah Thomas and Nick Benito. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna be outstanding. My question is I, like I'm not I'm not necessarily I, I do want to see some improvement because you should get better. but as long as they're able to sustain a level close to what we watched down the stretch last year, um, I, I, that's good enough. The offense for me is is the question, are we gonna see like the Lincoln Riley? record-breaking offense or are we going to see you know even at like an average level Lincoln Riley's offense is still really good so you know that's that's why Oklahoma is going to have a chance regardless of what offense we get that defense is going to be good enough to give them a chance but are we going to watch like the Kyler Murray offense that looks completely unstoppable every time they have the ball or is it going to be a struggle and maybe some inconsistencies is the offensive line going to be better I mean you lose some key players on the offensive line uh, and if you can't protect, then you know. For as much as I think Spencer Rattler is going to just blow everybody away this year, uh, he's got to be protected. So, yeah.
1: The biggest, the biggest. You mentioned the offensive line,
0: um, and hopefully
1: during the spring, a lot of those battles will get decided, and that unit will have a chance to gel. And I would imagine yeah. that um, Bill Beatenbow has a you know pretty good. You know, pretty good idea of, of, of who he's putting into those slots and, and probably has kids pegged the ones that he thinks are going to. uh Going to have an opportunity to start for OU. They're incredibly, I first of all, I, I think what we will see this year is maybe the most balanced Lincoln-Riley team we have ever seen as far as being able to do different things from week to week offensively. Um, the receiving core has enough talent on it where if you want to throw all over the place and and score 60 points, you should be able to. But if the offensive line is good and the running backs are as good as we think they're going to be, if, if you just want to grind it out and keep somebody off the field, like, say, Iowa State, you ought to be able to do that as well. And I, I can honestly see... This is going to be an interesting OU year because you can honestly see from, like, week to week you winning in, in, in different ways. Like maybe one week they do just kind of keep the ball on the ground and they run all over someone for a, a few hundred yards and score 35 points and the defense is able to, to stay rested and go out and pitch a shutout. Then the next week you might see them score 65 and the defense isn't as rested so they give up more points and still because the offense is so good you can't keep up with them. And then I think there are going to be some games where the defense, you're, you're in a little bit more of a dogfight, and the defense is, is able to win it. I It'll be going into the college football playoff. Now, granted, you, you always have to remember what, what Alabama has and then Clemson peeks out of the corner of your eye. But it's kind of hard to imagine that oh, OU won't be one of the most balanced teams going into the college football playoff this year and have enough weapons to actually win the thing this season. I mean, It really should be national championship or bust. This is the best group that Lincoln Riley has ever had on both sides of the ball. And it's not to say that, it, that individuals wouldn't be better in, in certain positions, but man, I just, I think that OU this year, I mean, you're looking at a year, since 2008, I think this is their best year to win the national championship. And I've said that before, but I do—I am going to be extremely disappointed if they are not playing in that final game this season. With everything they've got coming back and yeah. the guys that set out last year, the only thing they lack, the only thing OU seems to lack, and I want to see if you agree with this, me, for me, is they don't have that guy at running back. You've got to close with Kennedy Brooks. But you don't have Billy Sims. You don't have Joe Washington. You don't have Adrian Peterson or DeMarco Murray. You've got a guy that's probably a step or two behind those backs, but still good enough with breakaway speed, physical enough to run over people, and then you're adding a transfer from Tennessee. You've got Marcus Major on campus. So it just, you know, from from the running back standpoint, um the depth is there but and as long as they can stay healthy, I think OU is I think they're gonna be absolutely phenomenal.
0: How many of those guys won a national championship though?
1: That which ones? The guys that the are running backs back, you just mentioned. One?
0: No, the running backs you just mentioned. Oh, of those that I just mentioned, uh Joe Washington. There you go. I, it's just, you know, it's like one of those. I, everybody wants an Adrian Peterson, certainly. And everybody wants a DeMarco Murray. It's To me, though, it's just not one of those positions where you have to have a star to get it done. And, and look, I think Kennedy Brooks is going to be one of the best running backs in college football this year. And I, I like what Eric Gray brings as far as just having another body there and what his skill set is. I think he's going to be really good in this offense. Um, so yeah, I, I I mean, give me the quarterback and the defensive line. I mean, that's I, above the running back. That like that is at probably at the very bottom of my concern list. Again, Kennedy Brooks is a really good running back. Like it's uh, I'm not con- that's the least concerned about position I have on the entire list on the entire
1: team. Um, Weapons wise, what was as far as your receiving core with like Sogner coming back play. Tight end, um, I can't remember who all I can't remember every receiver coming back and the, the list is long, but is this the best group of weapons that OU has had since how since Gresham was there? I mean, do you have to go back that far? I mean OU's always had really good receivers, but it just seems like there's an extra level. To, to, to everything that they've, 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 they've gotten in, in this group between the tight ends and the receivers.
0: Well, Baker's last year, they had CD lamb, Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews. Okay. Which is really tough to beat. Yeah. Um, The thing with this group, I think like from a talent standpoint, they're loaded. Like we just, we need those guys to just kind of like, you know, step into the, the big playmaker star roles, but Marvin Mims is a star. I, I think it's it's safe to say. I mean, look at what he did as a freshman. Like, he's a he's a star. He's exceptional. Uh, but then you look at that group of freshmen from the season before, and, you know, between Hazelwood and Bridges and Weiss, like, we've seen good moments from all those guys. But, but you need at least one or two of those guys to just become a consistent every-game playmaker. Uh, and then you add Stogner to that mix. Like, the talent level is off-the-charts great. But I think we, we need to see those guys kind of come into their own, if that makes sense.
1: That makes sense. And and that's not even counting Mims the freshmen
0: is, that may be a factor in that department, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 well, and you
1: think about it, Lincoln Riley has, uh, he had a top-15 recruiting class this year, but I don't think that that matters all that much because of the kids that you're getting in the transfer portal that, um, that don't factor in um, to, the, to those ratings, but do go against um, the scholarships. Which, by the way, they should count. You, you should count those in, in, in the signings. Um, it shouldn't just be strictly who you're getting um, that have played high school talent. But it just, for this year, I mean, this is it. Lincoln Riley ought to be able to taste it this year. Yeah. Um, and, and Mims, A, I think he'll develop into the go-to guy this season. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, put him on special. He played special teams last year. My God, my brain is so fried at this point. Um, it, it seems like, you know, playing him on special teams this year gives you, it gives you an added dimension uh, in, in the punt return game. And it just, God, I think defensively, I think it's going to be so, I think it's going to be very difficult to score on them this year defensively. Yeah. I, but, you know, the question is I mean, you can stop. All, I mean, it all comes back to the same question. So you can stop all these teams in the Big 12. Will you be able to do it when you're playing Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, or um, we'll throw Notre Dame in there?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, is, is that, are you going to be able to win at that level, which is the only thing OU fans are really concerned about?
0: Yeah. I I think they can. I this is I said last year I thought that they were a year away from really being able to compete at the highest level and even at that point it wasn't necessarily because I thought the defense was going to be at this level like it's mostly because I just thought they had a lot of young talent that was going to need a year to develop and you hope that the defense would make slight improvements uh, and the offense would you know continue to hum along and and a year of experience for Rattler and the rest of the young guys would just mean that they're back to being the elite offense in college football. But when you pair that with what the defense accomplished a season ago and what comes back from that defense and understanding that there's more competition for positions and playing time, and they have more depth than they've ever had on that side of the ball that that closes the gap. I I absolutely think that they are good enough to compete. I'm not saying win, but good enough to compete where they're not going to show up and LSU runs them off the field by 35 points. You know what I mean? So Yeah,
1: this is the year. It feels like we are back to the Big 8 in the 70s. And if you know anything about the Big 8 in the 70s, outside of of Nebraska, Colorado, a time or two, I think Kansas had a couple of good teams. OSU and Kansas one year split the the Big 8 championship. But most weeks, most weeks, OU's best competition came at practice because their their twos were better than a lot of people's ones. And, right. and again, even if you're starting 22 was as good as theirs, your next guys down weren't. So OU was getting better every week. That's what it feels like outside of Iowa State and probably, I mean, theoretically, Texas. Should have as much, if not more, talent than OU, and I'm not sure that they do at this point. But most weeks, OU sub competition comes during practice. So by the time you get to Saturday, there is going to be no better. There's going to be no better prepared team for what Saturday takes than OU during conference, and, and especially during those first three games of the year. My gosh, OU has got, this is the weakest non-conference schedule I can ever remember OU having. I mean, aside, well, aside from last year, where you only take the Supreme State, um, you know, you, you, you played them in a blood game. Um, or, but this year, I mean, think about how weak that non-con is with Tulane, who is probably your toughest non-con team, and you're playing them on the road. Followed by Western Kentucky and Nebraska, and you're going to throttle both of those. You're getting better. You're going to have to get better at practice for when for when you start that competition because those three non-con games aren't really going to prepare you for what's in store for Big Twelve this year. They're not. Nebraska is not going to prepare you for Texas as well as you playing against each other will prepare you against Texas this year. Um, it's just, God, if, if there was ever a year that there's no excuses for Lincoln Riley, this is it. Yeah. And I, what I, yeah, I mean, the kind of wonder I Oh, mean, you fans have, have treated Lincoln Riley with kid gloves. I mean, they, I mean, they love this dude. If they don't win the national championship this year, let's say they get embarrassed in the college football playoffs is that, does the heat crank up a little bit this year or is it, is it still, Hey, we're going to the college football playoff and that's, you know, it's, it's, better, it's better than a lot of people. So we really can't complain too much. I mean, that that'll be, that'll be maybe the most interesting storyline you have for you this year. I would How say the fans treat
0: zero heat. Zero, the fans might, might, uh, have venom, but as far as heat, um, Look, OU loses in an in an embarrassing matchup in the college football playoff, and they decide they want to move on from Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley would be on the free agent market for about half a second, and the NFL would be scrambling to to fight to the death for his services. I mean, it's there, yeah, zero heat. I I everybody wants to win a national championship, and that is the goal, without a doubt. But the guy is so good that there's no way that you're just you're pinning uh, his career and the the future of his career on one season and one game for that matter. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think even if they were to get blown out like they did against LSU this season, uh, that there's, there's any heat whatsoever.
1: Let's say he wins a national championship with OU. Is he Nick Saban, Bob Stoops, Dabo Sweeney, or is he Chip Kelly? Meaning, does that allure become a little bit stronger for him to try the NFL after he wins a national championship, or is it? Hey, I got a good thing going here. I got a chance to build an empire. I'm mean, going to get paid a whole lot of money. I'm going to live like a king, and I, you know, no worries here. I mean, guys are working for yeah. one of, if not the best, athletic directors in college football, in college sports. And I say that because if you have ever had to talk with Joe Leon you're probably not going to speak to a more level-headed individual. Yep. And that, and honestly, and, and Coach Jones and I talk about this all the time on our show, is what may sway Lincoln Riley to eventually leave Oklahoma is when Joe Castiglione steps down. Right. And it, it looks like they've got a replacement um, in Dewey Salmon's kid, uh, which, my gosh, that dude is impressive. Um, I really wish I could remember his first name. I'm so God, I'm so bad at names to be able to get, but that guy just walks into a room and owns it. I mean, he just, uh, he put on that. I mean, he a, He just looks like a guy when he asks you for a seven-figure check, you're going to be like, where do I hide? He's, he's that guy. Zach? Um, Zach Selman? Yeah. Yeah, Zach Selman. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and he's supposedly the, the heir apparent. And I, I think he's, really honestly, again, if it looks or anything, he's going to do an excellent job of running it because he just has that, that swagger, that confidence about him where he's not going to embarrass you. And he's going to do, um, he's going to make the right decisions. He's going to be able to talk to people in in a way they want to talk to, and it'll be fine. But, but it's still uncharted territory for Lincoln Riley. And, not that I think Zach would be just a whole heck of a lot different than Joe because that's a great guy. I can't think of many better mentors to learn under. But is it a situation, though, where he says, yeah, Joe's gone. Presidents aren't staying around as long as they Yeah, time for to, a change type thing. Yeah, just, you know, just can I, do I need to go someplace where I can be? You know, if, if it's if it's always going to be this way, why not go make more money? More money and try my hand in the NFL right. if this is the way that it's going to be, and maybe get closer. To, you know, if it doesn't work out, maybe find a program that's closer to Texas for my family. I mean, it's just. Right. I think that may that may make the ultimate decision for him, and who knows how much longer Joe Castiglione is going to be doing it. I'm surprised he's done it this long. Um, that's God, that's your heart. Well, the, look,
0: he I, I would look, say Oklahoma.
1: He doesn't look like he's aged. Yeah, he doesn't look like he's aged a bit.
0: When you have Oklahoma rolling, just like Alabama and Ohio state, like it's probably a top 10 football job period, like NFL included, yeah. like being the head coach at Oklahoma when the Sooners are rolling is a top 10 football job. So I think as far as the NFL, it would take the right circumstance. Like you're not just going to the NFL for the sake of going to the NFL. Like who wants to, you know, I know urban Meyer wants to go do the, the Jacksonville thing, uh, and they're about to get their franchise quarterback, but uh, you know, let's just say the Bears opened up right now. Like, so are are the Bears appealing to you right now? I mean, they just lost no, Mitch, Mitch Trubisky. It, like, I, it, I think it circumstances so important in the NFL versus college being built the way that it's built. Where you know Oklahoma is always a factor. Just the logo on the helmet is always a factor. Uh, in the NFL, you have to have I think the right foundation as far as wanting to make that jump. And we've seen countless college football head coaches make that jump to just horrible teams and never figure it out because the foundation wasn't there. So, you know, if he goes, like, if he wanted to go to Arizona, you know, maybe Cliff Kingsbury moved on and Arizona said, hey, Lincoln, like, that foundation is pretty good right now with a guy that Lincoln Riley's already coached in Kyler Murray. Like, that would probably be super appealing. But, you know, if, uh, if the Jets were available today, like, is that appealing? As appealing as, as wh- where he has Oklahoma today? I, I don't know that it is.
1: It's not. I, I And I think, I mean, if you're looking for the jobs that, that might be appealing to him, put the Dallas Cowboys at the top of your list because A, it, it's the Dallas Cowboys. And no, right. Jerry Jones isn't the easiest person to work for and that probably should weigh in, in your decision, but it's the Dallas Cowboys. You're the head coach of of, of America's team, for crying out loud. So that's probably number one on his list. Houston, if they ever decide to kick Jack Easterby out of that organization, which should have happened the day after he was hired, that job might be appealing to him because it's home. Um, Maybe the Rams... I uh, you're going out to Los Angeles, they seem to have a decent foundation. Um, I think you'd stay away from the Raiders, the Patriots, Robert Kraft seems to trust these coaches and let them run the show that's probably a good transition for a college coach to make. um I think there's really only a handful of n f l jobs that are that appealing unless unless you just want to coach,
0: yeah. Now you've got to come to the media. Which is, every day which is the which is the X factor in, you know, none of us yeah. have any idea deep within Lincoln Riley if that desire is burning or not.
1: Yeah, I mean, do you I, I think the real appeal to the NFL is probably not having to recruit anymore. Because eventually that gets old, even for him, who seems to love the chase, but eventually that gets old. Um and and B, it just it's more about coaching than it is from a college football standpoint. And the way the NFL is being set up now, with a lot of these GMs. Now, granted, if if, if an organization is running this way, you don't get to pick your talent as easily as you do in college, which you probably love. But if you get into an organization like the Cardinals, think about the way the Cardinals run their organization. Yes. Cliff Kingsbury is the head coach, but he's just a high paid offensive coordinator. He does not do anything with the defense.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And
1: that for Lincoln Riley to not have to worry about hiring a defensive coordinator might be appealing, but it also might be a little scary because it's like, well, wait a second. So the GM's always going to hire this guy. So if it's bad, then I don't think any of the blame for it. That was the GM's call. It wasn't mine. But if it's also bad, then it's costing me because I'm not winning. And eventually he may get tired of me. Even though the offense is good, he may, fi- he may fire me because we're not winning. That's that's one thing I think guys like Nick Saban probably have the hardest time with and what I think Urban Meyer would have had a hard time with it, he not ended up in Jacksonville with complete control, is that you don't always get to make the decisions. It's the, we're going to draft the guys, we're going to hire the coaches, you just go make it work. And I don't think a lot of guys in, in college when you're in complete control, I don't think they
0: yeah.
1: they gravitate to that all that much. I think it takes, I think one, you've kind of had to grow up in the NFL environment and in an environment like that to kind of like that's, that's the way that's the way things are done. Like Mark, like take Mark Dagnall, for example. He grew up in the Thunder organization, so he has no delusions about the way Sam Presti going to run things. Right. He, he just knows how it is. Right. And Billy Donovan, I guess, I guess, knew that coming in. You know, Sam explained this is how we're going to do it, and Billy said okay. And Billy seems to like coaching in the NBA, um, but there are some guys that think, well, you're hiring me, okay, so the reason you're hiring me is because you you like my decisions, and when they're told, well, no, you're not going to be in control, you're only going to get to control this much of the organization, that takes them out of their comfort zone, they don't feel like they've got enough control over their career, so then they don't go down that path. And that was probably one of the things that Nick Saban really didn't like about coaching in Miami, that and just having Don Shula around all the time. And from everything that I have heard <laughs> about Don Shula, um, from people who have worked in the Miami Dolphins organization, that was a big cross for anybody to bear. He was a Apparently, he was a pain in the ass to a lot of people because it was always his team. Yeah. And you never could get away from it. So it, it, that I mean, those kind of things. Looking at Lincoln Riley, I would think there's probably going to come a time where he's just sick of recruiting at some point, and you may just say, "Look, I just want to go coach some guys." Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I can do what Quick Kingsbury does. Less stress, whatever. Let's let's go make it happen somewhere. Yeah.
0: Eric, always good stuff, my friend. Uh, We will catch up again next Tuesday. Have a great week.
1: Thank you very much, Mr. Colby.
0: That is Eric G. from the Tulsa Sports Animal joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. I'm a customer at Artisan Botanicals, and I can tell you their staff is absolutely dedicated to helping the community around them. If you have any questions whatsoever, uh, they're here to help, and they're here to, here to help educate you on these products and how you can benefit from from these products. So don't hesitate to give them a call 405-458-9699. Plus, you can save 15% off when you order online. You can order Kratom, CBD, whatever it is. Order online a abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code colbyshow and you save 15% off your online order. They have a drive-through so it's easy, safe, and efficient pickup, but uh, very cool artisan botanicals abotanicalcompany.com. Everybody, have a great day. Stay safe, and I will see you tomorrow. Podcast is over.